Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Horizon Managed Services podcast, episode two. I'm here with the owner of Horizon Managed Services, Rob Stoner. And this one, we're going to be talking about selecting an IT provider. So basically, what to look for and how to make the right choice for your business. So in this one, we'll go over a few options that business owners have when selecting an IT provider. But just to kind of kick things off, um, just, you know, in a scenario, you know, how should a business owner, you know, even know in the first place if they need an IT provider? You know, coming from you as a business owner in the IT space, how should a business know if they even need an IT provider in the first place? Sure. I mean, it, for, for me, it's really simple. It boils down to, did I get, like, if I were a business owner not owning an IT company, uh, let's say I, I own uh, a small manufacturing shop or something like that, odds are I didn't get into the business that I'm in to keep, take care of computers, to, to manage technology, to keep things secure. I got into the business of making widgets or whatever the, whatever the business is that I own. And it becomes, as you, you kind of step back from your day-to-day and look at how much time am I spending actually either making those widgets myself or managing the team and, and kind of focusing on the business growth versus how much time am I spending on technology-related functions for my business. When you start looking at that and going, I'm even spending 10% of my time dealing with technology, that's when you, start, in my opinion, need to start having those conversations, the considerations of looking for someone to take the IT burden off of your hands because the reality is, as an owner, um, even in, in our business with Horizon, I don't get involved into the nitty-gritty day-to-day in the trenches, turning the wrenches type of, of work that often. I mean, there are times that I do and, and all that, but as an owner, my time is typically better spent focusing on growing the business, on, on doing process improvement, on working with client relations, uh, on a whole host of other matters that aren't turning those wrenches. And it's the same kind of thing when it comes to, as you, the, the, the manufacturing shop owner, if you're dealing with technology and being pulled away from the, the, the very things that can improve your business operationally or grow it, uh, that's when you need to start looking at, at finding an IT provider. It's kind of the same as bookkeeping. Yes, when you're really small, you can do your own finances, do your own books. But as you kind of grow and scale, the value that you bring to your organization by doing those tasks um, gets diminished compared to what you could be bringing by focusing on growth drivers or, or other tasks similar in nature. Sure. So would you say the main thing would probably be you know, a time thing. So say, for example, like you said, a business owner, hey, I've got five employees, I can handle it now, but now we're at 10 employees, now IT's taking up a lot of my time. Would you say that would be the main thing? I mean, it's one of them. I mean, time is absolutely uh, the only resource you can't buy more of, right? Regardless of how rich you are, there's only 24 hours in the day for every one of us. And and so as the business owner, you've got to figure out, or ask yourself rather, where is my time best spent? Um, and, and again, like when you're small, your time is best spent kind of being everything, wearing all the hats. But as you start growing and you go from that five employee to 10 employee to 15 or 20 employee, is your time best spent setting up computers and creating accounts and then making sure everything's secure? Or is your time best spent focusing um, on business strategy or w- in other areas? Uh, not to, to prescribe what your time is best spent for, but typically it's not in the, the care and feeding of the technology systems that run your business. That's where you're most effective and can drive growth for your company. Sure. Kind of piggybacking off that a little bit. So basically, 
you know, once you get to that point, a lot of business owners, and I've had conversations with business owners, they can go a few directions. And, you know, mainly the argument I get, you know, some, sometimes it could be a pushback thing is like, you know, if you want to outsource, it costs X amount of dollars. What we can do is we can just hire somebody, you know, button a chair to do all our IT for us. We just, you know, hire in-house. They're with us all the time. Um, but there's obviously pros and cons, right, mm-hmm. to having an outsource service, a managed service provider versus somebody, you know, button chair in-house. Can you talk to me a little bit more about some of the, you know, specific pros and cons of, you know, managed service provider versus in-house IT? So say, for example, I'm at the business, I got 10 employees, I'm at that point where technology's taken up a lot of my time, I want, I have these two options, right? I can find someone or outsource. What are the, some of the pros and cons? I mean, it's, it's, it's to an extent, it comes down to personal preference as the owner, what you prefer, but removing that, like personal preference aside, there are just some objective pros and cons to each approach. Uh, I'll, I'll start with the in-house, uh, right? Uh, we come across this and get this, this kind of question or objection, so to speak. Um, not, not frequently, but it, it's, it's often enough that, uh, yeah, that you go put a job ad out, you hire someone, you get a butt in your chair, they're, in, they're working for you 40 hours a week. First question is, do you actually have 40 hours a week of wrench-turning technology needs for your firm at 10, 15 employees? Probably not. So there are some that are very technologically advanced, and yeah, you, you need someone full-time. Um, but most cases, no. So they're going to be wearing multiple hats again. And, and what we typically find is when someone wears multiple hats, they're going to prefer one over one of their roles over others. And so they're going to start neglecting things. Now, some, like, unless you get someone who's really in love with cybersecurity, cybersecurity is the first thing that most people take the hat and throw it away because it's just such a, a, a heavy lift. And there's a, it's, it's a never-ending process to try and stay secure and, and to improve things. But aside from that, and aside from the risk of them getting bored supporting 10 computers, right? I mean, that, that's always a risk of they're going to say, hey, I'm working here. I got a steady job, but it's limiting my growth. Uh, and, and so, like, either they're going to be twiddling their thumbs or you as a smart business owner are going to give them more responsibility and they're going to then choose which they prefer. Uh, or they're going to start looking to move on, in which case you're going to be back at ground zero. Not, you're going to be supporting technology and you're going to have to find someone again. Unless you have, as the owner, experience identifying and managing technology-focused, uh, like technical folks, it's very different than hiring an engineer for uh, like a CAD CAM if you're doing if you're manufacturer designing or uh, machine operators or welders or fabricators, whatever, whatever, or, or just a, like a tax preparer. It's it's a very it's a completely different skill set to one identify the skills and two, to manage them day to day. So it's gonna take a lot of your time still. The other thing, another factor to consider is it's not just their wage, whether it's hourly or salary, that it's going to cost you. You start with that. Let's say entry level position in our area is like, I don't know, 50, 40, 50, 60, depending on experience and what the, the, the specific needs are. Uh, and whether you're getting someone fresh out of school and you're gonna ha- they're going to cut their teeth in your environment and make mistakes, or they're going to come in with experience and be able to just kind of set direction and go. 
after that cost, that's just your hard cost, you've got all your soft costs, which are your, your, your health insurance, your, your additional taxes and FICA and things like that. You've got, they're going to need a computer. They're going to need multiple monitors. They're going to need some kind of an expense account. They're going to need all sorts of other ancillary tools, uh, not the physical and software tools to manage the network securely and efficiently. Uh, all those costs add up over and above the cost of the employee themselves. And so it starts to really get lopsided uh, as far as whether you're, you're getting your bang for your buck with an internal employee. The other side of that argument, though, is they're focused entirely on you, and they know your environment inside and out. And we counter that. We're an MSP. We counter that all the time with we bring an entire team, uh, and we do the same level of due diligence and understand your environment. We want to understand your process. In a lot of cases, we'll sit there and have our technicians literally spend half an hour sitting right next to uh, just pick an employee and understand what their typical day-to-day -day looks like, what their tasks look like. Partly to understand, can we improve this for you? But also partly to understand what it is that you, Joe, um, the shipping coordinator, do in an average day so that if something goes wrong, we're not having to ask you what are uh, the dumb questions when you're down. We've already, we've got a base level understanding just like your internal employee would have so that when something goes wrong, we're able to come in and provide strategic guidance. Now, when it comes to like the pros and cons of a managed service provider, yes, we, we come with a monthly fee. And depending on the size of the environment and the, the skill set and how, whether we're going to do HAS, hardware as a service or not, and whether you need, you've got uh, all your machines are 10 years old and you need to upgrade them, or you've got all a brand new fleet and we don't, the costs are, are very variable, uh, very much so. Very, the costs are very much variable and dependent on a lot of different factors. But what that brings is it's, it brings a whole team. Like when we were talking about your in-house person, you got one person. What happens if they get sick, they get COVID, their kids get COVID, their kids just get sick and they can't come into the office? Are you, allow, are you set up to do remote working? Are they willing to do remote working when they want to take a vacation? Or in our world, the, the running joke why we do so much documentation is like it's the, the proverbial get hit by a bus. Uh, buses are the bane of every IT person's existence because it's we document so that if I'm not available, if I get hit by a bus, you can come in, read my documentation, even if you're not 100% as familiar with the system as I am, you're able to affect change or resolve issues in that and challenges in that situation just as well as I am able to. But if you only have one person, even if they document, no one is stepping in to do that uh, because typically you need a baseline understanding of technology in order to be effective working through documentation. Uh, beyond that, we bring the entire uh, tool set to efficiently manage systems to keep them secure. Our focus, 24-7, 365, is on technology. It's not on manufacturing with one employee that's focusing on technology and improving that experience improving that experience, improving that security foundation, that is our focus entirely. Sure. Okay. So that sounds like a lot of a lot of different things to think about. I think the biggest thing if you hire someone in house, you know, 
just obviously, you know, for example, if they don't document the things, then they turn over, then you're at ground zero, or if they have to take a vacation and things like that. Whereas with the managed service, you can kind of, you could get that all the time, 24 seven, 365, you know, you have a team of people. So there's never really going to be any times where, you know, sorry, we can't, we can't take your call. We're all out on vacation. There's always going to be somebody to, to pick up that phone and, and offer support from that standpoint. Yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, I mean, the, 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 the internal uh, employee, IT employee, or internal empl- IT employees, they have their, their, their justification. Typically, though, it's not in small or even medium businesses. Like, typically, it's, it, we start to get into what we call co-managed, where we kind of work alongside one or two internal employees in the 100-plus employee range, where a business has 100 or more employees. And it's a different relationship. Uh, but they, they have their place in larger orgs where there's they're staffing entire teams of of IT professionals to solve challenges it's the like what what the MSP brings to the SMB market is that ki- same kind of approach where we bring an entire team to support your small organization at a fraction of the cost of you staffing an entire team for your org sure okay well, going into kind of the, the third point, I know this is probably a step down from both hiring someone internally and managed services, but break-fix model. I know it's something that we used to do. Mm-hmm. Um, companies still do it. Seems like it's getting phased out. It's going to be eventually phased out. But is there, is there any type of business that could still benefit from that break-fix model in 2022? I know there's plenty of clients that still have that type of model. Basically, you know, if something's wrong with their computer, call someone, they come fix it, they bill you per hours, you're all set and done. Is there any businesses that could still get away with that now or or not as much? The reality is there are quite a few businesses that feel that they can, that they feel that that's in their best interest because they see, okay, maybe I, I, instead of paying $2,000 a month to an MSP uh, with just fixed fee, $2,000 a month flat, um, they only call when there's a real issue. Uh, like their their computer's been down for three days and, and now they want it fixed. And, but you, you step back and you look at, okay, that, that break fix shop, they're going to come in, they get the call, they're going to start billing uh, from that the minute they pick up the phone through when they resolve the issue. But if you step back from that and look at what was the, the loss as a business owner, as a, just to the business of the loss of productivity from that employee, maybe, maybe they, they were only down a day. But what's their wages? All right, you, it's, things start adding up. What do, what did the the aside from the employees' cost to the business? What was the the cost to the business of them not being able to be productive for that day? If they're a shipping coordinator, were you not able to get all of your, like any of your shipments out that day? Okay, what does that mean for your your delays? Do you have enough buffer in your shipping times and lead times that you can absorb that, or are you going to have to either a deal with upset? Uh, clients of your own because they're going to receive orders late or you're going to have to pay to expedite all the freight going out that next day. Um, Not to mention now you've got double the amount of of shipments going out the the day after. There's a lot of cost that that goes into using break fix that isn't necessarily hard dollars up front that that some small businesses are still willing to to spend. Uh, Think of like uh, like what if those clients get their shipments late? What does that do to the goodwill of your company? Are they going to post negative reviews online? Uh, which then, okay, that in and of itself 
is not good. You have to respond as a business owner or someone on your team has to respond and try and make that client whole, make them happy. But also then it's out there in perpetuity. What does that do to future sales, to future revenue? Um, it's in a, a, the best way I can describe it is it's like it's penny wise because you, you, yes, you may in the short term save the hard dollars that you would be spending, mm-hmm. but it's, it's penny wise pound foolish because you're not focusing, you're not paying attention to everything that you're spending in order to spend just a little bit. You're focusing on just the little bit of hard dollars that are going out of your pocket to fix it. Uh, I kind of uh, make a parallel a lot of times when I'm talking to people of, okay, you're, you're, the, the break fix model is, it's, it is dying, but it's, it's similar to you don't have, uh, you don't do kind of fire preparedness in your house. You just rely on the fact that if a fire starts, you're going to call 911, a fire truck's going to show up, and they're going to put the fire out. You don't think about, like, you're going to get slapped with, A, a bill for the, the fire department coming out, and you're going to have a ton of repair work to do in, in, in reactive mode. Uh, once that fire has been put out, you're going to have to rebuild and all that. With the MSP model, the approach we take, and we've been down this path. We used to offer break fix, um, and we're, we've transitioned to managed services. It's We're looking at, okay, how can we prevent fires? We're Smokey the Bear. Only you can prevent forest fires in a way. Uh, but it's we're looking at, okay, how can we prevent fires? So we're, we're monitoring systems. We're being proactive about maintenance. Uh, and we're working with users to understand uh, what's coming up for the business. When are the, the critical times that systems absolutely must function? Like an, a, a tax preparer has a very different busy season than a convenience store, than a manufacturer that supplies like Walmart, uh, uh, for example. And so we're taking in all of these different considerations um, and we're trying to do what we can to minimize the chance of a fire starting, a sparking. But then we've also got tools and plans in place so that if a fire does spark, the, the, the specific um, sprinkler, like we put in wa- sprinkler systems so that just the sprinkler over the fire engages, puts the fire out, and then it turns off uh, so that a, your whole house doesn't burn down. You don't have to engage the fire department. You're not dealing with a ton of effort after the fact to try and rebuild once a situation has happened. Um, it's, 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 you're focusing on, we find it best when, when companies are focusing on growth and they're growing companies, they understand that, that kind of the benefits just almost intuitively of being proactive about things, making sure that small things don't grow into large issues uh, benefits them long term. The other, like for us, the reason we decided to switch, uh, and, and it's been, it's not been without its challenges with some legacy clients that, that just do not understand the value, um, but it's we'd only engage in, and we our relationship. We'd only have the conversations with these clients when they're in pain. Typically, the the person whose computer hasn't been working for a day, they've been trying to fix it, and they've been bothering other people. And then we hear about it the next day or two days later, when they've already gotten very frustrated, um, and so they're not happy. And they know that when they call us as a break fix provider. Or let me rephrase, they know when they call the break fix provider that they're going to now start being charged to repair. They're already in pain. They've already had this business loss and this frustration, and now they're going to lose money out of their pocket to get it fixed. And so it creates a very adversarial relationship where 
we're only working as a break fix provider. We're only working with you as a client when you're in pain. And then to, to make matters worse, we're giving you a bill afterwards for the, the, like the convenient, the satisfaction of us being able to try and bring you out of pain. And, and it, it really doesn't work. Our, our values in that scenario are misaligned with yours. Yours are growing your business, being, having your business and your technology be stable and secure and allow you to kind of springboard to, to, to future growth. And ours, we're only uh, being profitable. We're only engaging with you when you're going the opposite direction, when you're in pain, when your systems aren't working properly. And so with an MSP model, everything's aligned. We're only successful when you're successful. If you're, if you're having uh, 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 ten, uh, a thousand uh, issues a month, or all your, in an MSP model, we're only successful when you're successful. We're aligned. If you're having to call us uh, as a client a lot every month, we're losing money on your account. It's in our best interest to find a way to smooth things out and make your technology stable and work for you and towards your goals because otherwise our profitability on the agreement goes negative way upside down and it's it's worse than us being a break fix provider in a lot of ways being completely frank sure yeah when i think of break fix providers and i i told this to a few prospects that I've spoken with, basically, you know, as a break fix, the business, they're, they make money when you have problems. Mm-hmm. So and there's been stories where I've heard, you know, not you specifically, but other break fix providers, what they'll do is they'll, you know, treat, you know, symptoms of the issue and they'll know it'll be a reoccurring issue, but they can fix it, they can patch it and it'll be good for, you know, a couple months then, oh, this person's going to call me. Well, and, 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 yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in a lot of ways, an old joke that used to go around with clients that, that work and it's, I mean, if they're still working with the break fix, the, the thought is always in the back of their mind. If something goes wrong, if they get a virus or whatever, was this just a chance occurrence or was this caused either directly or indirectly by my break fix provider? Because it's the, the only time they're going to be making money off me is when I have problems. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's like that, did I really get this virus? It's, it's kind of like the old, when people, antivirus first came out, uh, a lot of people wondered, okay, I didn't have a virus before, but now that I've got antivirus, it's finding all these things. And, and the joke was, is antivirus actually in bringing in infections to help justify its reason for being? It's the, the with break fix, you never can be 100% certain that they're not creating issues. Like you said, they're treating the symptoms, not the root problem. Uh, in, in order to be profitable. With managed services, we have to treat the root problem because if we treat the symptoms, you're just going to keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back, and we're not going to be billing you for any of that, which, look, the whole purpose, the, the purpose is not how much we can bill you as a client, but it's a, a simple measure, a simple metric we can use to measure whether we're doing our job efficiently is that whether you keep coming back and keep having challenges or not. Sure. Yeah. Another analogy I use too, and this might not be the best one, but I, I tell people too, if they have a break fix model, they're usually, you know, sticking with the same technology and just trying to do, you mm-hmm. know, the absolute bare minimum. But there is such a thing as technological debt. So I tell people, and this again, might not be the best analogy, but it's like, if I'm doing something harmful to my health, like I'm drinking alcohol every single day in a year, 
is it going to affect me negatively on the outside? Probably not. Two years, maybe, but like five years, 10 years, then I start getting all these health problems that kind of pile up all at once. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing applies to, you know, someone's business technology. If they're kind of just doing, you know, the absolute bare minimum, say they have a break fix provider, if they don't prioritize technology, they view it as just a main expense, yep. you know, eventually they'll be able to, you know, patch up, you know, all right, all right, here, here's patch up this symptom, patch up this symptom, patch up that, but eventually it gets to a point where you can't, yeah, can't I mean, do that anymore, when, right? When, you, when you're, you're just treating the symptoms, you're slapping Band-Aids on all the cuts, right? Eventually, your arm is nothing, you can't see the skin. It's just completely covered with bandages. And you're then taking tape and trying to, to cover up the bleeding uh, just to stop seeing it. But eventually, you have to remove all of that uh, and, and try, try and repair the issue. And, and a lot of times, if you keep neglecting it for like days, weeks, months, years, and you're five, 10 years into a neglected system, it gets incredibly expensive to do a, we term it a rip and replace or a forklift upgrade where everything is coming out that's old, everything that's going in is new to kind of do a lift. You're, you're forklifting up the, in, in the environment, the systems, and, and getting everything set again. I mean, the rea- you're never, break fix versus managed services, you're, you're still going to spend the same thing typically over the lifetime of the agreement. Uh, what we find in a lot of ways is managed services ends up being a little cheaper over the lifetime, but it needs to be the relationship and the, the, the client needs to understand that this is a relationship, that this isn't, it's not strictly an expense, it's an investment in something that, in a lever that can be used to make their business uh, grow at a greater scale and greater efficiency. Uh, but a lot of times those, those individual lifts, if they've been serviced by a break fix, fix company for years, are incredibly expensive, and then they become a barrier to actually solving the problems. You, you have to keep putting Band-Aids on. And in our case, like with, with the clients that we have that refuse to, to entertain managed services, we'd offer years back, lifts to get them fixed um, and still keep them on as, man- and as break fix clients and it would get declined because you're talking 20, 30, 40 or whatever thousands of dollars. You're, you're talking a lot of money to do a lift in a b- major project and with managed services when we take over from break fix clients uh, or clients that have been using a break fix provider we'll typically roll all that in that project and spread it out over the course of 36 months. And so it becomes an operational expense. It becomes something that isn't a barrier to getting right-sized and realigned and all the challenges fixed in the environment. And when we find it's, it's been incredibly successful uh, in helping small businesses see the value and the benefit to manage services and kind of, it's, uh, personally, I'm a grass is always greener type personality, um, which, has its challenges because it, it means that I'm always looking at okay what can what tools can we use that are better than the ones we're using now internally um, but it I think in a lot of ways the the small medium businesses today that are still using break fix uh, providers kind of have the exact opposite it's the if it ain't broke don't fix it mentality mm-hmm. um, and I, there needs to be a healthy balance of the two um, to to understand okay, just because it worked five years ago, 10 years ago, doesn't mean it's the right, and it's still, maybe the, the car is still running, right? But it's not running the efficiently. It's not running uh, well today. And you could be, if just with some care and feeding and maintenance, 
you could have that, that car last you another 10 years type of a thing under the, the right, uh, right program. Sure. Going off that a little bit, um, especially with the kind of band-aid and cuts analogy, what are some of the risks that you know, business owners face? So say, for example, business owner A is really focused on technology, views it as something to help his business grow. Business owner B views it as an expense and something that is, you know, a pain and is just doing the bare minimum from their from their IT and technology standpoint. What are some of the risks that that business owner B faces versus, you know, business owner A? Oh, I mean, aside from some of the obvious ones that are like uh, higher staff turnover, if you're not investing in technology to make your staff more efficient, they're going to get frustrated and stagnant in their jobs, and you're going to have to deal with more and more turnover, more training, um, which leads to quality issues, all sorts of things. But let's remove that from the table and just talk purely technological uh, risks and concerns. The simple one is data loss. Uh, what happens if I'm just treating IT as an expense as a business owner and I'm like, ah, my data lives on the server. The server has a couple hard drives in it. They're redundant. I don't need to worry about backups. I'll just take a backup once a month to this external hard drive, put it in my bag, take it home, and I'll, do, I'll just manually do that. Well, redundant hard drives, redundancy period is not a backup. It just means you can uh, handle some level of failure, active failure in your environment at any time. But that hard drive that you're manually cutting backups on, when's the last time you tested it? You probably didn't. You just waited until the light turned green, and then you said, okay, the backup's good and healthy. Well, what happens when that hard drive, the redundant hard drives in your server fail? And because you, weren't, you had no one to monitor it, you weren't being proactive about your environment, you didn't see the alert, and, and you now have to restore from your backup. First, before you can even restore, you have to get the drives replaced. So you, as the owner now, because you're working with a break fix shop, you have to email them. There's no level of response time commitment that they guarantee. So maybe you get a response today, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week. How long can you stay down? But let's assume the break fix provider gets back to you. They have the drives on the shelf, and the next morning they're there, and they put them in and get your server back up and running. You now have to restore your data. Because you've never tested it, you go to plug in and you click restore and it goes, I've got nothing to restore. The backups had been failing, you just kept getting a green light so you assumed they were working. So now you've lost data. So now you have a couple scenarios. The immediate one is, how does your business continue transacting? Depending on the type of data you lost, there's a bunch of different scenarios you could be in. But the secondary concern is you've lost customer data. You've, it's essentially a data breach in a lot of ways. It may not have gone to the level of being stolen uh, by a hacker or, or just encrypted, but you've, you've put client data at risk. Um, even before you've lost it, you put it at risk when you were putting it on an unencrypted external hard drive that you bought at like Walmart and took it home because it left a secure environment and went to your house. Uh, so you've got a lot, just, just data loss alone creates a lot of risk to the business. Now let's switch scenarios a little bit and go down the path of maybe you, your backups are working fine, your server's working fine, nothing failed there, but you weren't taking cybersecurity seriously. As a business owner, you installed antivirus. You got, you got your Symantec type, you, you, or you went to, to Best Buy and bought 10 boxes of antivirus and you installed it on each of the computers. Are you monitoring it? Are you managing it? Is it getting updated? 
Odds are probably not because you bought it yourself. You're working with a break fix provider. There's no level of, of monitoring commitment there. What happens when Susie in accounting receives an email that claims to be you and says, click here, pay this invoice. It's, I approve it. She clicks there. It's a phishing email. She, has, she enters her credentials thinking she needs to sign in to log, view the invoice. They now have access to her system, to everything she has access to. She downloaded uh, what she thought was the invoice. It was actually uh, a, uh, an, a crypto uh, application. Immediately started locking her system and spreading to the other computers because you weren't running a, a, a proper EDR and a, 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 it's an enterprise detection and response type of tool. You were running just basic antivirus. Nothing trips, nothing sends an alert, no smoke signals go up in the air. So you don't know that anything's really spreading through your network. Nothing's actively stopping it from spreading and looking at, does this look like an infection that's spreading? It's just going, does this look like a virus? No, I haven't seen this before. Okay, I'll let it run. So now all your systems get cryptoed. Uh, you see messages on your system saying, pay X number of Bitcoins to this address. You look up how expensive a Bitcoin is these days, and you realize it's tens of thousands of dollars. Even right now when we're recording this, Bitcoin's still like thirteen or 14000 I think. Um, and, and so it's, it gets really expensive really quickly to try and restore that and get your decryption keys from a hacker, from a, whoever crypto-lockered your system. But you never have any guarantees that when you get those keys that your files are even going to be recoverable. Um, and typically what happens in a crypto scenario is not only are your files encrypted, but they've been copied off. The hacker has a copy of them. And so they, that's why it's called ransomware. They're, they're ransoming your files both on your system and the copy that they have to try and exploit you to pay them uh, in, in Bitcoin or some other kind of cryptocurrency to get your access to your files back or to delete the copies that they have. But again, you have no guarantees that they're going to, if you pay it, they're going to give you the right decryption keys and that they're going to delete the files that you have. Uh, but let's say you've got this $10,000, $20,000. You pay the Bitcoin ransomware fee, regard, like disregarding the fact that in most cases it's, uh, let's say, frowned upon. It's, it's typically, uh, in a lot of cases, you have to be very careful with regards to where the ransomware, where the, the payment is going, whether it's actually being banned by the U.S., assuming you're a US, uh, U.S. company, whether you can even legally pay that ransom or not. Because if that ransom is going towards groups or countries that are known to support terrorism, you're not legally allowed to pay that ransom. Uh, and there are some, some ways of working uh, through the system legally to make those payments. But the average Joe, you and I, we can't make those payments while still staying in compliance with U.S. law. But let's say you do it. You disregard the law. You pay the ransom. You get the, the encryption keys back, and the hacker says they deleted the data. Did you have customer record information? Did you have first name, last name, date of birth, shipping address, mailing address, credit card information, social security number, uh, any kind of what's PII, personally identifiable information, well, then you're, you're, you've just had a data breach that you need to, depending on the state, depending on the industry that you're in, you may need to report to one or several different entities. Um, even if you're in a state that doesn't have any reporting requirements, if you're in an industry that doesn't have reporting requirements, if you have clients and uh, like you've shipped, done work for someone in the state of California, CCPA, I believe it's called, 
is very similar to GDPR. It's very similar to HIPAA in a lot of ways. It's a, a framework to protect the citizens of California's personally identifiable information. You're in Ohio, but you've shipped stuff to customers in California. You have to report to the state of California that you had a breach and you have to notify those clients, uh, which will likely then spread online and you should really be going, okay, I'm gonna notify everyone and be proactive about this. But again, all this to say, I mean, I've laid out a scenario that it sounds like all these things have to line up for this scenario to happen. They don't. This happens every single hour of every single day. And, and the hackers and the tools they use to do it, they're not even typically targeting any specific business. It's a spray and pray approach. They just kind of go, who can I catch? I'm going to throw out a net and let's see who I catch today. Um, and, and it's... As a small business owner, most of them, unless they're very technology-focused and driven and passionate about technology, they're not paying attention to the actual risks that are out there. No, it's really eye-opening because especially the things that you mentioned with you know, antivirus and backups, that's a lot of things that I hear talking to business owners like, yeah, no, we're, we're all set. We have an antivirus and we have a backup, but who's monitoring that? Who's mm -hmm. checking that? Who's making sure that's updated? Because it's not a one kind of, you know, set it and forget it type of thing. It's something that needs ongoing support and monitoring yep. once, you, once you have it installed and having the latest versions of... Yeah, I mean, uh, technology is no longer a set it and forget it thing. I mean, frankly, it never was. But today, the risks to the business are, to, to businesses in general, are so much greater when the business takes a set it and forget it approach because it, the, bar the barrier for entry for any kind of hacker is next, like you have to have zero skills. You just have to have a little bit of money available and a desire to just see what you can do. Um, and, and, and you can wreak tons of havoc uh, on businesses that are, have that set it and forget it, that break fix approach, the Pennywise pound foolish mentality. It's, it's businesses that operate that way, frankly, are operating on borrowed time, in my opinion, Yeah. from a technology standpoint. Yeah, especially with, um, I know in our last podcast, you know, how easy it was for someone to become a hacker. Basically, all you need is a Tor browser. and You don't even need the Tor browser anymore. Oh, really? I mean, it, it's, there, it's available right on the open web. You can even just on sign Google. Up. <laughs> yep, yep. You can just use Google to find it. It's, yeah. a, it's a game of whack-a-mole. I mean, if, if you follow anything along the lines of like... Um, what goes on with like piracy for like the, the, the pirate bay and, and people sharing movies and sharing there, there's a whole subgroup or subculture about sharing pirate uh, like cable streams and channels and all that and and it's fascinating to read about because like the government's going after them and they're closing all these different uh, groups down but it's almost like a hydra the government closes one down and two more sprout up uh, it's, it's 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 a game of whack-a-mole um, and, and just like in, in piracy and, and hacking and, and all that, it's the same thing. You shut the, the one hacking forum gets shut down, one hacking tool gets shut down. Well, two more are going to spring up, uh, and, and it's it's it, it's almost in a lot of ways an unwinnable war at this point, uh, where the good guys can't win. They're just having to try and keep the defenses up. I mean, the reality is, the hacker only needs to be lucky one time. The good guys need to be lucky all the time, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's only a matter of time for small businesses that don't invest in technology, that don't invest in security, 
uh, it's only a matter of time before they're going to be affected by some type of breach, some type of security incident, and it is not going to be cheap. Sure. Well, not even breach too, but just, um, you know, besides that, like retention of employees, like you mentioned, and, yep. and data and things like that. Well, and it, and, I mean, you look at a lot of small businesses and how they responded to COVID, for example. Um, a lot of a lot of businesses went and said, "Okay, we're gonna be we're gonna embrace remote working in some way, shape, or form." Um, and there's another subset of businesses that said, "No, we're not going to do it. We're gonna just keep operating status quo. Maybe wear masks." Like there's there's uh, there's no right or wrong answer, right? There's absolutely jobs that you can't do remotely. It's hard to run a a, a punch press when you're sitting in your in the office when you're sitting at home type of a thing. Uh, but the willingness to embrace the idea of change, the idea that uh, things have shifted, the expectations of the employees uh, have shifted, uh, that's kind of the, the marker for us of a company that, that gets it, that understands that technology is a lever for growth, not just a cost center. Uh, I was reading a study the other day, and the name escapes me, uh, but just like we've all heard of this whole silent quitting or quiet quitting or whatever it's called, where it's employees that would normally go over and above and, and try and do their best work if the employer is not making accommodations for them to be successful, to, to leverage better technology, to deliver better processes. The employees are going, well, I need a job to survive, right? Uh, but I'm going to just do exactly the bare minimum, nothing more, nothing less. I'm just going to kind of coast. And what that does to morale for the team, what that does to productivity of the team, what that does to the business, they're all things that still have yet to be proven over long-term studies, but any reasonably smart person can look at that and go, if I just as a business owner invested a little bit in my team and embraced some change, embraced maybe we do a hybrid work, maybe we do we allow some p team members to be fully remote type of a thing or, or whatever. There's a lot of different possibilities. But if they were to invest in their team one way or another, their team would give back tenfold. But instead what they're going is they're, they're penny-wise, pound-foolish again. They're focusing on that, that making sure they catch every penny and what they're doing is alienating the team that's going to allow them to catch the dollars. And, and in a lot of ways, technology, it, it's, it's failed to produce what we thought it would back in the 60s and 70s and 80s when the personal computing, the mainframes, and then PCs were revolutionizing and going to make it so that you only had to work like two days a week or something like that. It, that that's failed, that idea from back then. It, it, it doesn't exist. But what it has what, protect, what technology has allowed us to do is to be to allow one employee to be productive well beyond the, the ideas or, or, or any, any concept of productivity from the, of the employees back in the 70s and 80s and, and early 90s. And a lot of employers still don't embrace the idea that technology is kind of a force multiplier rather than just a necessary evil. Sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense for, from that standpoint. I've seen it just by clients I've spoken to with employee morale where technology was a cost center and they didn't like it. Basically, I'd hear employees complain about what they do on a day-to-day -day basis versus, you know, the latter, where they have all the tools, you know, necessary to 
to do their jobs well and to oh, be yeah. happy in their jobs. Um, well, I mean, it's a very simple calculation. We, we, we did it for a, a prospect recently where just let's take one employee has their, their every morning their computer's slow. Uh, and so they, they end up wasting five minutes sometime between like 8 and 10 a.m. They're going to do a reboot at some point during that window. And that reboot takes five minutes a day. It's not much. They go get a coffee and they're basically back. But you look at what does that cost the business over the course of a year? It's over 40 hours of lost productivity because that employee has an older computer that needs to be, be rebooted daily during a certain window or during certain tasks or after certain tasks. And so in the, the individual day, it sounds minuscule. But then you just look, I just paid someone 40 hour plus hours this year to click the reboot button and go get coffee. What does that wage add up to? What, what would they be able to do for you as a business owner or for the business as a whole if they were able to be productive during that 40 hours? You put a week back into their, their time every year. Just think about what that would do. And then multiply that by all your employees and how much greater efficiency, how much more could you accomplish as a group, as a team, as a business if you had that time back? No, that makes 100% sense. Even with my computer, I know when it came to editing the podcast videos and things like that, there was space being taken up on my laptop, which caused it, it was being slow, and I was yep. like, couldn't, couldn't do that video editing and stuff. And then immediately, you know, I know you reached out, and then Brendan reached out too. It was like, hey, you know, immediately yeah. got yeah. the tools I need. Now I don't. Yeah, it's like, like okay, yeah, maybe we, we bought you an external SSD to just like throw all the video footage on there so it's not sitting on your internal. What did that cost us? Maybe 200 bucks, if that. And how much time, how much did it put back in your day? How much time did we lose from your system crashing during an export because it ran out of space? How much frustration were you going through? It's, it's not just about, like, not everything has a dollar ROI, like an immediate dollar ROI. But from you being happier, being more productive, not being frustrated, that's going to be visible in your output. And if, like... By improving your output, we're getting an ROI from that. Uh, it's we're getting a better quality product. You're you're being more efficient. You're you're enjoying your job more, um, and and so it's it's in a lot of ways it's it's less about me as the employer going, how can I get the most out of you, the employee, while spending the least? It's how can I best support you, the employee, to be the best that you can be at your job, mm-hmm. and how can I support you? to grow and, and, and kind of pursue the growth that you want to have and find a way to leverage your growth and your, the, your desire to grow in certain areas, how can I find a way for, so that also has a side benefit that improves us, whether directly or indirectly? It's, it's a very different way of managing teams, of, of kind of viewing um, investments in your, your business and in your team, but it pays dividends in the long term. Uh, by building a more cohesive team, by creating a team that's in it for the long haul, that's going to be there when, when, when something goes sideways, everyone's willing to pitch in a hand, whether they actually understand what's going on or not, or not, or they're just someone to go get coffees or pizzas when, when like when we have to deal with a cyber event at ten at night or something like that. It, it's the team being willing to all jump in and do what's needed to be done. Um, and kind of, it's, it's like team sports. You're all trying to, 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 
to win. You're all trying to get that goal or, or, or get the get the point of the basket, whatever. I'm not a sports – sports ball is not my thing. Uh, but you're all working towards a common goal. And you each have different specialties. And my, my role as the one of the owners, as the coach, is to find how to best allow, allow you – to kind of go after that goal. No, I think that's a that's a really good analogy. Now it just makes me think of previous employers. I just one that came to my head. We use Salesforce a lot as a CRM, and I'm just thinking now how much time I spent because the application it had so many bugs. It was running so slow. I probably spent about an hour a day just mm-hmm. messing with with Salesforce, trying to update my opportunities and you know call logs and stuff like that because it would load so slow. And, you know, everybody complained about it in the office, or we work remotely, but everybody complained about it. Yeah, Salesforce is slow. It's slow. And just kind of nothing came out of it. So I know the company, uh, very large company, they had, they had a lot of turnover. But um, it's just interesting to, to know about those kind well, of things. Well, I mean, just think, if yeah. you were spending a day or an hour a day uh, try, just waiting for Salesforce to update and refresh and, and get your stuff logged in, how, how much more effective could you have been if that was, you, let's say you, you moved to a different CRM where they fixed all the bugs in Salesforce and you only spent, if you got a half an hour back, because nothing's going to be the full hour back where you're going to need to use some kind of CRM, but just an extra half hour to be, call, in your case, calling on clients, I'm assuming, or, or trying to uh, work with client relationships and, and better nurture those to grow uh, the relationship. How much more opportunity would that have generated for the business? Oh, probably. Probably. I mean, for me, because usually our 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 expectation it was a very transactional sale, but it was you know one sale a week, pretty much, is what we were shooting for. So for a month, if I had thirty minutes back in my day, that's how many of your hours a week? Yep. And it usually takes me, you know, I don't know, like 50, 60 calls with current clients, set up a few meetings, run like ten meetings. That's one deal. So however many, probably yeah. like a deal a month or something. Yeah, like that. I mean, you're, you're talking yeah. another 10 hours plus a month put yeah. back in your, your, your available time to be going after the actual pursuit. Like the, the, you're pursuing the actual goal of the business mm-hmm. uh, and all that. But no, we, you had to deal with an inefficient system that stole time away from you and actively made it harder for you to be effective in your job. Sure. Yeah. And that just, it's just eye opening to think about those things. Cause it's something that, you know, as an employee, you don't really, you don't really think about immediately, you know, mm-hmm. or same with a business owner. It's kind of like, you know, it, it is what it is. It's really hard to pinpoint, you know, those things that can be hidden costs. Another thing that came to my mind too, especially with employees and that, that quiet quitting thing, it makes me immediately think, cause I know the forefront now is generation Z coming into the workforce. Yep. Uh, a lot of them are graduating school. I think the youngest is like 10 years old. I'm at the, the cusp. I basically am like the oldest year, Gen Z 25. So I'm like on the borderline. Um, but I'm just curious to hear, you know, as a business owner yourself, what what you think about what businesses need to do to, you know, attract, retain, grab the interest of, of Gen Z. Because it seems like it's been tricky. It's been tricky for a lot of business owners and they've been really, you know, there's, there's, there's mixed messages about Gen oh, Z. Yeah. I see it all the time. It's like, you know, they're lazy. They don't want to work. They all want to be TikTok stars, which there are some people that I, I definitely can agree with that. Um, but then there's other people that are that are not like that. So I'm just curious what. I mean, there's yeah. arguably there's always like a kernel of truth to every like a, a stereotype starts with with something. Someone had a perception uh, or they, whatever. But not ever like you said, not everyone in Gen Z 
wants to be the TikTok star or the YouTube star. But they're being raised in a culture and in a society where they're not watching cable. They're not watching movies nearly as much as they're watching TikTok and YouTubers. And that, that's the, their job, uh, being a TikToker, being a YouTuber in a lot of cases. And so the concept of a 40-hour in the office, 9 to 5, Monday through Friday job is very challenging to a lot. I mean, at least it's, it's a very shock. It's a jarring, um, in a lot of ways, experience for, for younger, younger people these days. As an employer, not even speaking specifically about technology, but being willing to step back and kind of reevaluate your operation and go, just because I've always done something this way doesn't mean that's the way I need to do it. Um, that's one of my, at this point, I should probably just get it tattooed on my arm, um, is the, the statement that uh, it's, the, the, it's because we've always done it this way is never a good answer. If, if someone tells me, why, like if I ask why we're doing the X, Y, or Z, and if the answer is because that's how we've always done, we've always done it, that's an immediate, it's not like grounds to fire or anything, but it's immediately a task that gets created to, okay, we need to reevaluate this because just because we've done it this way is, it doesn't mean it's the most efficient. It doesn't mean it's the right way or the objectively correct way, or even solving all the challenges that need to be met. It just means someone decided one time that this works and then someone else decided, okay, that worked that one time. I'm just going to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it every time. And, and as a business owner, I think in a lot of ways, you need to step back and be willing to, to kind of separate your personal identity from the identity of the business and say, okay, if something needs to change in the business, that doesn't mean I failed as an owner. That means things have shifted. The tides have shifted. It's time to embrace some change. The world has changed. We're dealing with a, a younger generation that's coming in. We've been, we're hiring right now for another, uh, an entry level, uh, technician position or agent position as we call them. And it's been, we've had a lot of younger, uh, younger people apply some with and some without experience. It, but the common thread is like me, I'm 30, I'll be 35 in a couple months. And I think that makes me gen Y, but I, like I, I was always born or I always believed that I was born in the wrong generation. I've just been born old. Uh, but like myself, my business partner, Mike, and our service delivery manager, Joe, as we go through these interview processes, the common thread in a lot of cases is people aren't even showing up with a, a button down shirt. I mean, I've had people like interview wearing hoodies, wearing like raggedy sweatshirts with holes in them. One that happened last week, he was wearing just a random t-shirt and he took the interview from his phone while sitting in the parts department of an auto store waiting for his car to get oil changed. And I'm like, like the, the, level, the level of professionalism is just out the door. Like, and, and to an extent, I think there's a, a shift that we as business owners need to go through because like in my, my, how I was raised anyways, I can't say my generation, but how I was raised is you dress one level up from the environment you're walking into. If they're, they're business casual, I'm going to be at least wearing a tie and maybe a sport jacket if I'm going to apply. I'm going to have my resume ready. I'm going to prep with some questions. I'm going to research the, the business I'm applying to. In a lot, of, a lot of cases these days, you ask someone if, you, if they have any questions. No. 
or they ask a question about something that was already in the job description. And I think it, it, one that gets that's frustrating for me as an employer because it, it means you're not, as the, the job seeker, you're not taking this process seriously. And if I'm taking it seriously and my team is taking it seriously, we're investing a lot into the process, whether it's hard dollars and dealing with job sites and all the paid advertisements that go with it, or soft costs that are the time. I mean, like I said earlier, the only resource that you can't buy more of in this world is time. Mm -hmm. And so if we're going to take our time and be serious about you, we expect you to be serious. But because things are changing culturally or culturally, I think to an extent, myself and just business owners in general need to start adjusting our expectations that this generation is not the previous generation or the generation that we were raised in. Um, and that some things do need to change. Now, I don't, for me, I don't think it's ever going to change that I expect someone to be prepared and professional in an interview. But what will change is we've embraced, like for us, we've embraced remote working. Um, and, and whereas a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, we were 100% in the office, 100% of the time. Um, and, and now it's, no, we're, we're embracing remote working, partly because of uh, the impacts of COVID and partly because why not? If, if, like, and, and then being completely transparent is if we as a business that wants to be competitive today don't embrace the expectations of the workforce of today, at least on some level, we become less competitive because we can't hire the same resources. We can't build as strong a team. Uh, we'll get looked over by job seekers that are that saying, hey, in this, this current generation that wants to be more, um, they, they wanna ha be more missionally focused. If we don't have a mission as a company and find a way to directly or indirectly support our employees in achieving their personal goals, then they're not going to be applying to us. They're not going to be uh, even if they do get a job with us, they're not going to stick around long term. One of the things that I, I personally take great pride in is that our team has a longer track record, that we've been together longer. Uh, it's not just looked at as a, uh, a chance to kind of get something on the resume, maybe get a new title, and then a year from now move on. It's that we're building something. We're all moving towards that mission. Um, and a lot of what I'll call traditional SMBs, the, the ones that have been around and operating since like the mid-90s or so, or you've been in business 10 years and you're doing things the way you've done them because that's how you've done them. If you're not willing to kind of step back and question why you're doing them and like be transparent enough and willing enough to say, is this the right way to do X today? It may have been yesterday, but is it the right way to do it today? And being willing to say yes or no, uh, regardless of the outcome, it's not going to impact me personally as an owner that I've like feeling that I failed. Like if you're not willing to do that, you're going to have a hard time competing as more and more Gen Z's come into the workforce and are having a different level of expectation. And then the, the not to mention the fact that as Gen Z's get more and more buying power, they're going to be your clients, not just your employees, but your clients. And if you're not willing to embrace what they as a, a, a potential buyer of your product is, you're going to have a hard time competing in the market against other companies that are going to pivot. Uh, and you're eventually, your, your market is going to shrink and age out of the workforce or age out of the buying power, whatever the case may be. It's, 
I've personally gone through a lot of these struggles of trying to, this past year, of trying to separate my personal identity from what I, my job, my career and, and as an owner. And it's been challenging and wildly fulfilling at the same time to start separating that and go, okay, if, if we need to pivot, like we brought you on, like for example, you, you're handling all of our sales, all of our account management and development. And that was something that I had historically been doing, not well by any stretch of the imagination. I, was, I would be the first to tell you, I didn't want to be doing any kind of sales, but it's something that I was doing because it was, someone needed to do it. And I could have taken that as a, you know, we need to, we need to find someone to focus on all of these growth initiatives uh, from a sales and account management perspective. I could have taken that as an affront to my abilities, or I could have taken that as an opportunity to go, okay, great. That frees me up from something that, yes, I've been doing it, not very well, but because I've been doing it, I have some attachment to it. Um, and I can then pivot and focus on things that I'm more, um, I'm, I'm, I'm better skilled to, to kind of attack and, and to solve those challenges to allow the business to grow in other ways. And it's, had, it's, not, it's not been without its ups and downs, but separating that and being willing to say, we can improve, the ideas of the team are better than the ideas of the one, uh, is embracing the new generation's approach to working. And it creates a more cohesive team. It creates better structure and better growth and better opportunity for everyone. No, I definitely think that's a really good, you know, approach to have, especially, especially, you know, with some of the people that I've, that I've met that are younger than me, some of my friends or, you know, just colleagues or coworkers that I've met in the past that have been younger than me of the same age. And even for me, when I was, you know, looking for, you know, when I found this particular role, I had two job offers, one from another place that was mandatory in office, you know, very, very large, old school kind of company. And then you guys, um, I know it was a, originally, I think it was a hybrid role. So, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm in the office sometimes. I get to meet with clients in person, but most of the time I'm working remotely. That was a big thing for me was having that flexibility to be able to work from home. And then if, you know, I meet with a client or I have to go to somewhere, then I can meet with the client in person to have that flexibility. And that's something that, you know, for me, you know, it, it's just, it, it was more important to me, a big, a big reason why versus, you know, some other company um, that, you know, was a lot, lot larger, but didn't have that option. So it's a big deal, I think, especially with the remote work. And then for younger people, you know, finding a company that, um, like you said, is, is willing to, you know, invest in their employees, help them develop and grow and provide that, that good environment rather than just kind of, you know, you're in a corporate machine and, you know, you're just kind of a robot, yep. um, so to speak. I think that the younger generation doesn't want to be like that where they just kind of earn one job for 50 years. You know, there's no pensions or anything like that anymore. So I think that's one thing that's good. At the same time, though, there are people that they're like complaining about working like seven hour shifts at Starbucks. I saw this one video and I'm like, that's, yep. that's yep. a little bit, come on, like you're, like, you're a little bit soft. Like, like at, at some <laughs> point, like every, like, you need yeah. to grow some thick skin. And I think like not to get too off topic, but just like, it's okay to fail. Like the, this, the, the current concept of everyone gets a medal. Uh, personally, it's, it's like saying, well, no one fails. No one doesn't win. Like everyone wins. There's not a winner and a loser. Everyone's winning just at different levels. And I think that has created to an extent some of the challenges uh, uh, that as an employer were 
potentially being asked to also be a, a not a parent, but kind of like a, a, a mentor almost to help bridge the transition from, from youth to uh, career-minded working in a lot of ways. I mean, we've been very lucky, whatever, you, whatever term you want. Thankful, we haven't had that, that challenge with any of our employees and all that, but it's, it's been something that just from the outside looking at, at the generation, it's, it's becoming more of a challenge where they complain about working a seven-hour shift at Starbucks. And it's like, at some point, we've all gone through and worked that seven-hour shift that may be nothing but rush for seven hours and you get a bunch of unhappy clients, uh, customers or whatever. We've all gone through those experiences. That's, that's kind of, it's battle testing. You're, you're, you're building your metal and finding out, okay, what, you're finding your limits. What can I do? And if you're not willing to push yourself and try and challenge yourself to grow, then you're going to just kind of be stuck in that rut, working those seven-hour shifts at Starbucks and being frustrated. But if you're willing to, to kind of find what you can actually do and achieve if you put your mind to it and you're willing to kind of put your head down and grind a little bit, it's it's worthwhile. Even just even if you, you never get anywhere, from a personal standpoint of being able to, to step back and go, you know what, I did my best. Uh, to heck with whatever the world says, I put in the time and I did what I could to achieve and this is where I got and that's good enough. Like there's a lot of value in my opinion to just that personal standpoint. Sure. Going back to the topic, I know we got off. We got way off topic there. (laughs) Yeah. A little bit. Um, just about say for example, like going back to the, the, the IT providers and, um, essentially what a business could do from an IT standpoint. So obviously we went through break fix. We went through managed services. We went through, um, in-house. So say Mm -hmm. for example, you know, I'm a business owner. I'm at that point where, you know, there's too much time being taken off my plate. I want to go the managed services route. Now, I understand IT providers, managed service providers specifically are a dime a dozen. There's a ton of them. Mm-hmm. Now, how does a business owner, what are the things to look for? I guess red flags, agreed flags for a business owner to find the right IT provider for them. I know there's a lot of components, especially oh, yeah. with, with dealing with salespeople, which I'll talk about too with, with IT providers. But what are some of the things that a business owner should look for when it comes to finding the right provider for them? I mean, a lot of it comes down to almost the intangible. Like, like you as the business owner, uh, are you? Do you feel like the, who you're talking to is trustworthy, or are they just kind of doing sales tactics to try and get in the door to to uh, to move on from one step of their sales process to another? Um, but I mean, you can ask some simple questions, like ask about similar environments that they've supported in the past. Uh, Everyone, every IT provider is going to be able to tell you a success story. Um, what most won't tell you is about a failure and how they were able to pivot that um, and overcome that challenge. Um, and so I always recommend businesses ask about, uh, ask prospective MSPs, what, tell me about a situation that went sideways with a client and how did you rectify that situation? Um, that, that to me... Uh, when I'm looking for partners, when I'm when we're evaluating uh, other tools to, to potentially integrate, or we're looking at prospects, it's it's a two-way street. Like we, if we don't have that kind of a rapport that gets built, if we don't have the warm and fuzzy feeling, like you know, you just know internally there's a green flag going up, then like listening to that that internal voice is something. There's a lot to be said for the the intangible 
that you just know something is off. But if you're going to just do it like an interview process, a checklist, check the boxes, it's ask about the, the when something went wrong. Ask about, ask for some referrals, but understand that no MSP worth their salt is going to give you a referral of a company uh, or a client that isn't happy with them. They're going to give you the referrals to, to clients that are happy. They're going to be able to tell you the success stories when they saved the bacon. They're never going to tell you about when they screwed something up. Um, but it's ask about the technology that you use um, and what their experience level is. But understand, in a lot of cases, there's a lot of ways of not of making it sound like they're saying yes without saying no uh, and without saying yes to. Uh, but for us, the way, like, let me give you an example of, because uh, it's kind of hard to put into words uh, of just a, a checkbox. But our prospecting process, how we got to meet with, with clients and, and kind of do a discovery is different than others in a lot of ways. We'll, it, we don't just walk around, count the computers, and then give you a price. Uh, we, we bring in some equipment. We want to understand what's truly going on in the network. Again, there are a lot of providers that do that. But what, we, what sets us apart is we'll have an engineer spend time with each of your key employees, not, just a, not, not Mitchell, our account rep, but one of our senior engineers. A lot of times it's a service delivery manager, and he wants to go and understand what the challenges are of your employees and what they do uh, and see, like, watch what they're doing uh, to understand and start getting some ideas. Are there opportunities where we can provide value to you as a client of like efficiency gains or putting in some automation or whatever, whatever the case may be? So what you can do as a, a, a prospect, look, you're a business looking for an MSP, is have those conversations about what could we do? Ask them for ideas of how you as a small business could be more efficient if they just start listing off, well, use SharePoint or use Microsoft Flow or some kind of automation platform, and they can't tie it to someone or something in your business, then they're probably full of it, and they're just going to treat you just like any other break-fix shop that just charges you a flat monthly fee, um, and that they're not going to be truly proactive. They're not going to truly understand or try to understand your environment and your unique business challenges. Sure. I think another good point pins out to, you know, dealing with salespeople, especially from a managed services standpoint. This is always something that I try to do in my sales process. But the biggest thing is listen to understand. Don't listen to respond, especially mm -hmm. when you're talking to, you know, a business owner. I want to go with the idea of, you know, first of all, I understand that not everybody's going to be a right fit, you know, so. First of all, qualifying, like, are they a good fit for, you know, our particular services? If they are, then figuring out, asking them questions. Um, the salesperson, if you're, if you're talking to a managed service provider, you should be doing most of the talking for the initial meeting. Um, the salesperson should not be doing too much of, of the talking. They should be asking good questions, open-ended good questions to get you to describe what, what's going on. And then from there on out, they'll slowly guide you through the process. But for me, I try to figure out what, what's, what's the main thing that a business is trying to achieve. And usually it's, it's based on a couple things. Like one, if they're trying to grow their business, that is the main thing that I look for. Are they trying to grow their business? Are they having pain points growing their business from a technology standpoint? The other scenario is two, they have a provider and maybe they're not happy with that current provider, whether it be with response times, issues, whatever. If it's, if it's just the price, then, you know, it kind of gets a little bit sketchy because then it's like basically just a price war, which 
you know, we don't really want to get involved with from that standpoint. And then, you know, the third is, is they're outgrowing their current IT infrastructure or if they have somebody on staff and they need extra support. So basically when you're dealing with, you know, a salesperson, you know, if you're a business owner, I would say, you know, from my perspective is how does that salesperson talk with you and interact with you? And do they understand your business? Do they at least try to learn to understand your business that they don't know a lot? Because if I'm a salesperson going, you know, I'm a salesperson going into a meeting, I know a little bit about the company. I do some research. I spend about, you know, 15, 20 minutes on their website. I usually know who the employees are, what they do, how how long they've been in business. But I don't know all the ins and outs, like, you know, what systems they use and, Mm -hmm. you know, their proprietary softwares and their day-to-day. And I think that some business owners get a little bit, um, you know, if you're a salesperson, you're reaching out to me, you need to know everything about my business. But that's just impossible for us to do. So when we're meeting, when I'm meeting with a business owner, I want to basically ask them questions to get them to open up and describe to me what they're doing. And then, you know, I, I move into, Hey, you know, we can, we can do this for you. We'll do a deep dive discovery. I'll meet with some of your key employees. We'll have an engineer and we'll evaluate, you know, what you're doing right now from a technology standpoint and make recommendations. And when I build out proposals, I want to tailor it to something that will help their business, either if it's, they're growing or if we can provide better service than their current provider and not necessarily go into, you know, basically, you know, here's all the things that we're going to do. Here's Microsoft 365. Here's licensing. Here's yeah. The, I mean, the, the reality is the big, one of the big differentiators We're MSPs we're in a service-based business. Yes. We all sell products because that's the products are needed by our clients, but that's also how we provide service to our clients. We're not a we're not a w- company that makes widgets and we just sell a widget and we're transactional. Break fix is typically very transactional. There are MSPs or, or they'll call themselves MSPs that are a very transactional. They're focused on just selling the product or a project, and then they kind of uh, they, they kind of stay hands off. But what if they can't? If the the MSP, if you ask them what sets you apart. Why are you different than the three other MSPs that I've talked to this week? If they say anything like, well, we hire the best techs, we've got the best response time, our techs care more than any other MSPs techs, there's like, I guarantee you all three of your other MSPs that you interviewed with gave you similar answers. Uh, If they can't uh, um, put to words a differentiator, a value proposition that's different than just we're better than the other guys. They're not, they're not better. They're this, they're going to be the exact same. They're going to use different tools, but your outcome is going to be the same. And that's not less than satisfied basically. Uh, and if, if they're doing all the talking, like you said, they're not listening. They're not paying attention to what you need. They're just thinking about all the things that they can sell you. Uh, or all the, the ways they can maximize the profit. Yeah, either that, because I've, I've been in, you know, multiple, you know, different, you know, IT meetings, you know, especially with previous roles. And I've had, you know, other um, business development reps that are like, you know, specialists and, you know, IT I'll present. And they go through basically just a smorgasbord of all the services that we're going to be providing. But I find that business owners, you know, technically they're not, they're not super technical people no. for the most part. So when I'm talking to a business owner, I hardly ever mention, you know, what we're going to do from, you know, just here's here's all your licensing, here's all your hardware, software. I'm going to say, you know, listen, here's your environment right now. You told me that you're looking to grow your business by implementing this. 
we're going to position this in a way that helps you grow your business. You're going to be able to onboard employees faster. You're going to be able to offboard them faster. You're going to have all the tools that your employees need to retain the current talent that you have. You're going to be able to, we're going to be able to work more efficiently by doing, you know, X, Y, Z. And, you know, by then you're going to have predictable costs and it's going to help your business scale and grow. And, you know, from a cybersecurity standpoint, if you have to be, you know, in compliance with certain clients of yours from a security standpoint, that's a selling point that you can use. I mm -hmm. think a lot of business owners, you know, that's something that they can use because a lot of times business owners are also salespeople too. You know, yep. they have to sell their business. So if, if you're pitching a client and your, your business has really, really good cybersecurity, you have a really good trusted provider, if you want to, you know, land an account that, you know, deals with sensitive information, whether it's their proprietary information or employee data or whatever, then that could be used as a selling point. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of business owners, you know, that's something that they can use in their back pocket with working with an IT provider too. So it's not, you know, necessarily just an expense, but, you know, for us at Horizon and, you know, the, the company values that we have and how it's translated into the sales process that differentiates us is, I know, like you said in our last podcast is we want to see our clients be successful and grow. We are not a, massive company where we just, you know, basically are churn and burn with clients where we, you know, we just want your money. And then after we get your money, yep. too bad. No, we want to see you succeed. And we work with small, medium sized businesses in the local area. We're a second generation family owned company. And we want to work with you to achieve a specific goal that you have in mind, whether if you're not, if you're just unhappy with your current IT provider, if you want to grow your business, if you want to figure out ways to do more, do things more efficiently with technology or automate some processes. We want to make your life easier and be a good business partner because if they're not happy, then we're not happy. It's just not a good relationship. So yeah, I think that I think that's a big thing too. Um, I agree. And one thing I want to touch on that you mentioned a, a couple minutes ago is the the owner to, uh, a small an SMB isn't typically the most technologically uh, proficient. Uh, whether they are or aren't is irrelevant. But what what matters is if the provider is, you're bringing an MSP on to provide you with strategic guidance. And instead of telling you, hey, we've talked to you, we understand your goals and where you want to be, where you want to grow this business to in two, three, five years. And here's the plan where we can make sure that from a technology standpoint, you're ready to achieve that. If instead they're coming to you with, well, here's the server we'd like to do. What do you think about us putting in 128 gig of RAM versus 256? Which do you want? If they're asking you that question, they're not providing you with that strategic guidance. They're instead kind of abdicating their responsibilities as a provider, as a consultant, as a trusted resource, um, and instead are, are kind of shifting that burden back onto you uh, for the low, low price of whatever they're charging you a month. Mm -hmm. And that's, it, it's, it's a huge waste in my opinion. It's a, it's a missed opportunity uh, because if they would just take the time to be a proper MSP and to provide proper guidance and recommendations and take the time to understand what their client's objectives are, they could be doing so much more for their clients and their clients would be able to succeed at an even greater uh, velocity than they are now. Sure. Yeah. hundred percent. Not to run out of battery. Yep. Well, anyways, that's, uh, that's pretty much all we have for today. Question wise, but thank you guys so much for listening to episode two and we will see you next time. Thank you.